Do you want to do any vocal exercises before starting? Uh, la, la. <laughs> I, I think you guys might end up. La 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 la. Hello and welcome to the GC Call. This is a podcast we're bringing to you from Gulf Capital, the leading alternative investment firm in emerging markets from North Africa to Southeast Asia. I'm Nabil Ismail, Executive Director in the Private Equity Team. And I'm Alvaro Abella, Managing Director in the Private Equity Team. Think of the GC Call as a window into the investment process. In addition to our own experience, you'll hear from other regional investors, entrepreneurs, and management as well as advisors who participate in the overall process to demystify it together. With that said, Nabil, let's introduce our guest today. Yalla, we're kicking off our first episode today with Ankur Shah. Ankur is a former CFO at Karim, which, as I'm sure you already know, was the largest venture-backed exit in our region, fully acquired by Uber for $3.1 billion. Now, we'll be doing this conversation in two parts. On this episode, we'll get into some of his experience and insights on recent market conditions. In part two, which is available in your podcast app right now, we expand to the other aspects of Ankur's framework for building a good company. Ankur is a dynamic person, now ex-CFO of two large enterprises, and has raised over $1.3 billion. Yeah, thanks, Nabil. Thanks, Alvaro. Thanks for having me. Uh, I didn't raise that money myself, of course, team effort and uh, it really takes takes a, a mountain to to make all those things happen. But uh, yeah, delighted to be here and delighted to share uh, anything that you guys might find useful. When you look at seed funding, moving all the way to much later stage uh, uh, fundraisers, the percentage of startups, we've, we've seen this these statistics being, you know, uh, done in various ways, but Anything that gets to Series B from seed is less than ten percent, and if it once it gets to Series D, the likelihood of success is even lower, less than five percent. And if you start looking at that, I think ArabNet had something recent uh, that that showed uh, less than two percent who've managed to successfully fundraise. Um, you've been through that uh, value chain. You've you've gone through a lot of different series, and and uh, you've been uh, at Karim. Uh, raising at different stages, and you've also been uh, with different startups. So, what are you trying to achieve? You know, being a founder or a manager uh, at these different stages. Let me maybe address the two separate points that you're making. One, of course, there's a significant drop off between seed and late stage. Uh, there's very few. Uh, trillion dollar companies in the world and there's very many uh, you know zero to million dollar companies in the world so in part there's a natural drop off between early earliest stage and and later stage as product market fit um, organizational challenges regulatory challenges um, execution challenges uh, express themselves and companies um, and companies fail um, so that's that's natural. I think in this region, you're right to allude to a, perhaps a slightly uh, higher drop-off. Um, and that may be because of the absence of capital availability at the later stages. Um, and it may also be that um, that as a um, as a group of countries, individually, um, you know our markets are not yet mature. Um, and that's the beauty of of the growth opportunity in this region is that it will come. Um, an example of that is, you know, when we raised money at Kareem, 
um, there was there was really not a traditional lead investor uh, for any of the rounds that we raised. Um, and so with each round, we had to be quite creative about the investors that we brought in to finance the company. Whereas today, there are many, many investors at the seed, at the A, at the B stage, uh, but not as many at the CD and so on, uh, which will presumably change as the market grows and the investor maturity grows uh, as well. So that's the first question. I think to your second question, what we are trying to achieve, um, I think the company is fundamentally trying to achieve growth and sustainability, right? So initially, uh, you're probably funding the creation of the product, then you're funding some traction in that product, uh, whether it's product market fit with your first set of customers and then your second set and your third set and so on, um, ultimately through through sustainability. And presumably there's a, a set of company characteristics, team building, organizational maturity, as well as geographic product market fit that you're expressing through these different rounds. Uh, that as you as you demonstrate your maturity more and more, both in terms of product market fit and organizational maturity, you're you're raising capital that really allows you to finance growth, as opposed to just financing the operations of the company. If we look around the corner, and again going back to the the probably one of the largest rounds fundraisers in this region's history for a startup such as Kareem back in 2016, 17, with probably you know, close to half a billion dollars um, in that time period. Obviously, great expectation in terms of growth, uh, transportation, mobility, where you guys were focused. Do you see that level of scalability still taking place? Is the bar to achieve large rounds, later stage rounds, a lot more difficult? Uh, how do you see things sort of coming back to this region, having been in the U.S. over the last year, year and a half? I think it's a good question. I haven't thought about it before, so let's discuss it. Um, a, the macro environment has changed, right? We were in uh, in the 2010s raising money in a declining interest rate environment, and therefore there was more capital available. Now we're in an increasing interest rate environment, and so the capital availability is much lower. So in a way, um, there's probably more capital available, you know, a year ago than there is today for anybody raising that capital. Um, and that's the macro kind of public markets uh, uh, view. Now, I think, you know, in the 2012 to 2017 timeframe when Kareem was raising money, there wasn't an established kind of startup ecosystem. I think Souk was the only other sort of meaningfully scaled uh, a startup that existed in this in this region, um, and uh, and so the capital provision was very very limited. I think there was very few venture investors, in fact zero, at the time that we started almost. Um, and as we discussed earlier, each round was very very difficult, um, and I think. In the later part of the 2010s, so 18, 19, 20, 21 even, uh, given that the interest rate had continued to decline uh, and the capital environment was so favorable, I think many, many, many more people, venture funds, as well as startups, were able to finance 
their operations uh, funds as well as businesses, right? I think now the environment has changed once again where there are a lot of funds that have um, that have raised money and so there's presumably dry powder out there, but the valuation environment has changed, multiples have come down um, and therefore it is a little bit more challenging to um, you know to raise that that capital. I think if you look at the economic fundamentals, the region is probably stronger than it has ever been. Um, you know, there's a lot of growth and development yet to happen in Saudi, and that's an opportunity. Um, there's a lot of growth in in the UAE. I think um, you know, and the region, as we used to say, Kareem has about 650 million people from Algeria to to Pakistan. So it is a large consumer market. Um, in which there are still not, aside from Kareem, really, you know, significantly built out internet properties. And so, you know, could that be an opportunity? Absolutely. Of course, there's different regulatory environments, different, you know, there's a lot of fragmentation within these markets as well. Uh, but for the the organization and the team that cracks that, there's certainly many, many opportunities um, as the region continues to develop and grow, which is probably likely to be faster than other places, given that the base is lower, right? I think that's a, a great point regarding capital availability, because again, when I was part of the sort of the investor side at that time, uh, supporting the management team at Kadeem, uh close some of these rounds and look for investors. And I recall going to some of these large institutions, Gulf institutions, and telling them about Kareem, et cetera. And basically, uh, the the comment was always, okay, so this is one or two companies here in this region. You know, we prefer to have more proof points, like in India, like in China, of companies that have really uh, been able to hit outsized returns. So, you know, we're not ready to support these type of, as you said, internet assets today. That was six years ago. I think due to the success of companies that have raised or been sold like Karim, like Talabat, like Souk, et cetera, uh, there's a greater focus from those, uh, let's say, supranational or national institutions, sovereign wealth funds, et cetera, that have the capacity and are doing so, investing in their regional champions. And specifically, whether it's here in the UAE or Saudi Arabia, I think that's going to be sort of opposing forces to what you were commenting before. Yes, capital availability due to interest environment where interest rates are raising will probably be more scarce. But at the same time, there's a greater focus, much greater focus than six years ago in the development of internet assets in this part of the world. So I think that's those two opposing forces that we'll see how they will play out. I think that's right. Now, it's possible that the capital availability created the supply of capital at the early stage, right? It's the same force that led to funds being raised as well as companies being funded. Uh, we still don't have systematic late stage investor focused on this region, right? We've seen a soft bank round, uh, a couple of soft bank rounds, Kitopi and Uniphonic and others, Sanabil is, of course, also fairly active in um, uh, in Saudi, uh, but 
compared to larger markets uh, individually our markets are still more fragmented so so i think a pan market um, opportunity is still the one that's likely to attract later stage capital and by late stage i mean sort of d and beyond So you you've both you know been with Karim uh, and wearing different hats, one on the investor side and one from a management side, and I think that's a great experience that we can use because all these issues around profitability. I remember seeing a deck of Karim back in the days and turning it down because you know the ethos was okay, it's not profitable. So how is it going to get there? So I think we are somehow returning to some of these you know uh key key questions that at some point in time the availability and the monetary easing was just helping a lot you know for as you said the earlier stage you know manage just looking at unit economics and maybe growth 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 it will be very interesting perhaps if we discuss the do's and don'ts perhaps Ankur, you can tell us about the do's and uh, alvaro maybe i know don'ts why why what not to do when fundraising and maybe let's focus also on the late stage uh, fundraisers yeah i'm you know i think you're right that um for example at at kareem just to pick up on one of your earlier points our our third round of capital uh, was led by abraj which was historically a private equity fund um and that was the capital that was available at that point and as you you know alluded to private equity is looking for uh, for cash flow uh, and and profitable businesses, which is why it was very very challenging to to raise that that uh, that capital as there weren't there wasn't sort of a culture of venture investing at that time, right? Um, and I think Beko participated in the same in the same round. So I think the the providers have matured. The venture asset class has become better understood in the region, even from the private equity houses who perhaps at that time. You know, may not have, um, may not have had these opportunities fit into their into into their models. In terms of um, sort of late stage fundraising, uh, you know, picking up from our earlier conversation, I think um, what companies need to try to establish is that their value proposition is functional and produces meaningful unit economics. Uh, across multiple sort of customer types, whether they're geographic or enterprise in, in terms of both consumer and enterprise, right? So the acquisition process of a customer, um, the purchasing behavior of the customer and the engagement behavior of the customer all together produce a return on every dollar invested in that company and that the company has made significant progress to establishing its steady state economics right because at the late stage fundamentally we are much closer to a public listing um let's say that's the that's the the steady state outcome there could also be an acquisition in the case of for example in the case of kareem or in others uh where the purchasing you know the rationale for purchasing the company may be different uh, than than simply uh, profit making, which is what the public markets might look for, but at the late stage, we're really looking to bridge to uh, to something that public market investor 
will understand, right? So, so on 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 that on that part specifically, we're we're talking about unit profitable unit economics. But what about the bottom line itself? Is it getting closer to profitability? Is it already profitable? How how do you see it changing nowadays as well? I think it's a function of um, uh, it's a function of the trajectory. So if the trajectory that the company demonstrates and the narrative that the company is able to tell in a believable manner about its trajectory um, stands up, uh, then uh, you know growth equity investors are still willing to finance companies that are not profitable. So I don't think profitability is a necessity, um, but a trajectory and a convincing narrative of the path to profitability uh, is very, very important, particularly so today when the market is really, um, uh, you know, fairly uh, uh, rigorously devaluing unprofitable companies. Um, and so that naturally bleeds into the late stage market because the multiples are are sort of observed and borrowed from public markets. And, and I think that's a great point. I wanted to interject on that because we've seen over the last decade as well, a lot of what you were saying, the typical cash flow, cash flow, profitability focused PE investment houses moving into the growth space, right? So TPG was not a growth or in a or PE investor ten years ago or fifteen years ago. It's been an evolution. Um, same thing with the likes of KKR uh, or CVC, et cetera, yeah. Warburg Pincus. So. They have trod that path based on that forward-looking assessment and analysis of if the company can get to the profitability. Same with Gulf Capital. Over the last five years, we've been focused more and more on the growth segment because we see those opportunities there. And you have to be able to see how the company gets to profitability. And as you said, more so in this environment where cash again has become king and your ability to demonstrate profitability is going to be key for you to raise later rounds because people again have put under question and doubt you know your sort of very lofty uh, expectations and and uh, overly aggressive or optimistic projections and i think going back to your question abil about the don'ts from our point of view um Whereas maybe 12, 24 months ago, it was okay. You could get away with these hockey sticks projections, you know, growing 30X over a 24 month period. I think now it's going to be a lot more diligence, those assumptions that get you to that explosive or exponential uh, uh, growth scenarios and projections. So I think. The don'ts is don't project those. One of the don'ts I would say is don't project those overly optimistic scenarios, or at least be able to very quantitatively support why you think those growth projections will pan out. Especially in this environment, when when the whole world is you know entering an almost recession, it's it's very challenging for for these businesses to to do relatively well. Um, Yes, the GCC you've mentioned is doing extremely well at this stage, but Egypt is still struggling. Pakistan is starting to struggle. Man, many of the other developing countries are struggling. So what else would you do, uh, Angkor, while fundraising like that you think has been a great success uh, that you would, from Kareem or anywhere else that you'd like to bring it 
and advice some of these founders to look at, especially in this environment? I think there are still businesses to be built, right? Uh, even if you ignore the macro environment, uh, there's still a lot of services um, and efficiency that can be driven in the economy and in, in industry. Um, if we come back to sort of the basics, you probably have, um, if you can demonstrate a large TAM, right, um, market size, if you can demonstrate trajectory, it's product market fit, unit economics, um, and ultimately EBITDA and cash flow. And if you can demonstrate your ability to build and scale a team, so maybe that's my three T's if we're creating frameworks, um, and put together those three things are a compelling opportunity, you know, they'll still get funded. Now the question is how compelling, how believable, um, and how data-based, right? And secondly, the question is whether there are investors who are ready to take that risk because ultimately, you know, each firm still has its own culture um, and has its own, you know, risk aversion or risk appetite, uh, which are all judgment calls. But I think if you have a large TAM, a strong trajectory, and a fantastic team, you're probably still going to get funded. It's, the question is at what price? And I guess it depends on stage, right? Uh, as you were saying, depending on the investor, yeah. where they look at and how they focus on these three T's. I like I like that uh, sort of framework that you suddenly came up with <laughs> on the fly. Um, I think the trajectory, as we were saying, will probably be a lot more scrutinized. Um, and you should be able to demonstrate that trajectory, right? Whether it's within your core market or a sure. new market that you've established, that is going to be a, a, a lot more diligence in uh, in the coming months and years. Because as you were saying, going back to, you know, where is the cash coming from? If you follow the cash, and we like to follow the cash, right? Starting from public markets, starting from who's setting the rates, uh, I, we don't believe that uh, we're going to see zero interest rates anytime soon because inflation is going to be tough to battle at least for the next 24 months. Yeah. And, and I think the one thing we haven't discussed is um is covid right and the coronavirus in a decade of declining rates and capital availability created a massive stimulus for for all technology products uh, and so we had this kind of perfect storm of kind of opportunity through the end of last year where it felt like public markets almost forgot that they cared about profit which is now sort of you know, started to return to to mean right. Um, so some of these tailwinds have you know in part gone away, and some of them have come back. And I would put all of this stuff under the sort of the market bucket of the first T, including competition. Uh, but trajectory, as you pointed out, is different at different stages, and has many sort of layers of the of the onion um, around your product. Uh, customer acquisition, product engagement, um, and ability to generate, uh, you know, contribution margin while not ballooning your, your GNA so that you can still make money on the bottom line. 
And on that point on GNA, I wanted to make one more sort of Dr. Doom type of uh, statement or comment, and then go back to my more bubbly spirit and more optimistic on a, on another on I another. You're note. always bubbly. <laughs> Typically, yes, but today I think we're talking about very very pessimistic views over the next twelve months. No, I'm quite super optimistic. I, that's why I'm taking the other the opposing okay. side, right? <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the team that you were talking about, I think that's the other area that uh, and GNA. So you were talking about GNA and how how you leverage your your overheads. Uh, that's going to be one area that investors will also be focusing on over the next couple of months. Have you actually taken the hard medicine, the pain, uh, to be able to survive over over what's coming? And everybody's uh, quite doom and gloom about you know the the scenario, the forward looking scenario at least over the next twelve months. And some businesses have been more effective. The guys who are you know, looking around the corner, as we say, and trying to be as efficient as possible with their operations. And some businesses we see are still living in 2021, where if you fail to live in today's world, in reality, you'll probably be running out of cash and it'll be very difficult to attract new capital if you are trying to raise new capital in the next 12 months. So that brings us to the end of part one with Anchor. You can find part two in your podcast app right now, where we dig into the other parts of Anchor's 3T framework and what it takes to build a sustainable company. Thank you for joining us on this first episode of the GC Call with me, Nabil Ismail and Alvar Abeya. The GC Call is brought to you by Gulf Capital and is produced by Amaya Media. You can follow the show in your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anrami, Pocket Cast, and all of the others too. And we'll have new episodes for you every two weeks.